Welcome back to Passing Judgment. Welcome to season two of Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. This is the first day of our second season because it's the first day of the Supreme Court term. And of course, we do talk about a lot of things legal and political. And right now, the Supreme Court involves both of them. There's a bunch of really important cases the court has already decided to hear. And of course, politics is involved because there is an open seat. President Trump has nominated Judge Amy Coney Barrett. Lots of political issues dealing with whether or not she will have a hearing, when that hearing will be, whether or not she'll be confirmed. And I'm so glad that one of the regular features now of Passing Judgment is that we have a regular co-host. We used to introduce him just as the show's producer, but now he is both Joe Armstrong, Welcome back. Just a lowly producer. Hi, Jessica. (laughs) Lovely to be here. As I always say, as always, that's my catchphrase, I suppose. It's season two. Can you believe it? That last SCOTUS term seems like it was a thousand years ago, but it was only a matter of weeks. Now, it did go long into, you know, normally that's wrapped up by the end of June or so. But due to the coronavirus pandemic, they released some of those decisions later than normal. But here we are. We're at the brink of a brand new season of the Supreme Court and a brand new season of our podcast as well. I feel like our little podcast is growing up. It is. And one of the reasons is because you join us regularly. I remember to pull back the curtain for a minute. Uh, I think there was a big Supreme Court decision at the end, uh, no, the beginning of July. And you said, let's do a quick episode. And I said, well, we don't have a guest. And you said, no, just me and you. And I have to say, just anecdotally, I think the listeners have really responded. It's such a gift to the podcast that I get to talk about these issues with you. We've talked about some fun issues. We've talked. We've had some really rough moments. We got on the phone, so to speak, just a few hours after Justice Ginsburg passed away. We've talked about what happens when the president of the United States has a potentially deadly disease. We've talked through a lot of things and hopefully we're helping to bring complicated political and legal issues to a general audience. We're really grateful for everybody's support. And this is one of the big days of the year for me, the opening of the new season. What should we talk about first? Oh my goodness, where to even begin? Uh, We have Chief Justice Roberts uh, has worked very, very hard to keep the court out of and above the political fray, but it seems like that's going to be increasingly hard. It's looking very likely that it's going to be a six to three conservative majority on the bench. Tell us how that happens. Well, how that happens is that Judge Amy Coney Barrett becomes Justice Barrett, and then there is a solid six to three majority. Now, of course, Chief Justice John Roberts is nobody's liberal. He's frankly nobody's moderate. It's just that the Supreme Court continues to shift so fairly dramatically to the right that he's now, you know, looking closer and closer to that left side. He'll never be a liberal judge. It's just comparative at this point. And he, frankly, I think will lose a lot of power. One of the things that we talked about last season, Joe, is that uh, Chief Justice John Roberts really did exercise a lot of authority over the court by virtue of being not just the chief justice, but the swing justice, really trying to fashion rules that make us, as you said, feel like the Supreme Court is not just another political body. And this is something I talk to my students about a lot, which is, you know, the Supreme Court, they don't have an army behind them. There's no military that supports 
the court, we all have to agree to adhere to their decisions because we believe that when they make a decision, that that is the force of law, that that is something we have to adhere to. And part of that role, part of that contract is that we don't think they're just political actors. And that's something that Chief Justice John Roberts cares a lot about. And it's something, frankly, we should all care about. And, you know, we, we also talked about this last term. We saw Chief Justice John Roberts and Neil Gorsuch author some decisions that looked like they had liberal outcomes. Just because you were appointed by a Republican doesn't always mean that a conservative legal philosophy will get you a Republican political win and vice versa. So yes, lots of politics. I suspect that uh, Judge Barrett will become Justice Barrett in short order and that even with all of this going on, she will be uh, on the court before the election. We should have a quick preview that we're going to talk to one of the nation's experts on the Supreme Court and constitutional law later this week. Dean Irwin Shimerinsky. Uh, we're having a little bit of a preview, the two of us, right now. Right. And looking at the uh, potential seating of Justice Amy Coney Barrett, this is something that may play out in terms of the election, which will come to have an effect on our society and our government sooner rather than later. So if you're referring to, of course, what I think has gone somewhat unsaid by the leader of the Senate, Republican Mitch McConnell, and now I think explicitly said by President Trump, which is that they want Judge Barrett on the Supreme Court before there's potential election litigation, meaning they want her on the Supreme Court to decide a case that could decide the presidency. Now, we don't know what the case is going to be. We don't know what the legal issue is going to be. We don't know if the decision would fall cleanly along ideological lines. What we do know is that 20 years ago, uh, in the Bush v. Gore case, that there was a decision that ultimately decided the presidential election and that it was split five to four along ideological lines and that it deeply harmed respect for the Supreme Court and that people really did begin to say, why should we listen to these people if they're just politicians with robes on? And personally, I really, really hope that we avoid another Bush v. Gore. Right. We are already, we've found ourselves in an unprecedented situation. We have a Senate that is you know, advising and consenting the justice, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, who will likely wind up on the Supreme Court. But we have a situation where setting aside the blatant Republican hypocrisy, which they themselves set out rules about not seating a new justice in an election year. Here we are, we have, you know, the snake eating its tail. That justice may be the one who decides the election one way or the other. Let's hope it doesn't come to that. It's supposed to play out in the electoral process and not in the courts, as your reference to Bush v. Gore 20 years ago. But we're also in a situation where they're trying to seat this justice very, very quickly in the midst of a pandemic, which is currently this last weekend, as we all saw, has been ravaging the White House. There are senators who have tested positive. Are they going to be able to seat someone? Is this something they can do virtually? Well, the Senate rules apparently are ever-changing at this point, but Senator Mitch McConnell really wants this seat filled quickly. And so I would have thought a few weeks ago that it was outside the realm of possibility that they would have virtual hearings, that they would have a virtual vote. All I know is that Senator Mitch McConnell is a master of Senate procedures. So if those procedures do need to be 
bent or amended or changed. I don't think it's entirely outside the realm of possibility. Right now, what we're hearing is that he wants people physically present uh, to start those confirmation hearings. And again, you know, not just because they want Judge Amy Coney Barrett to be there in case there's election litigation, but if President Trump were to lose the election, it really takes the political winds out of their sails, there meaning the Republican senators, to say, okay, but we still have to confirm this judge who was nominated by an outgoing president. So for a gazillion different reasons, I think that uh, she will end up on the court before the election. Now, with the impending appointment of her on the bench, this will have implications for decades. A six to three majority is a big majority. With the cases that are facing the court, how soon will these sorts of changes be evident on the court and in our society? Well, it could be right away. So what happens with the Supreme Court is that people apply for cert, meaning they basically appeal to the Supreme Court and they say, hear our case. It takes four members of the court to say, yes, we're going to hear the case. Then a case will be set for argument, set for oral arguments. Oral arguments occur typically between October and April. And then there's no law that says when the Supreme Court has to finish writing those opinions. So the Supreme Court is going to hear a big case dealing with Affordable Care Act um, on November 10th. They could take until the last week of the term, which is typically the end of June. Again, no law that they have to end by the end of June. So that's a long way of saying, you know, we could feel the impact of a justice, of course, once the decisions start coming out, but also when we see which cases the justices are deciding to hear, because she could provide a important fourth vote for people who want to take up certain maybe more conservative issues. And tell me, what are the big issues? What are the big cases that may come before the court this season? I feel like, the, you know, it's like a new baseball season or a new basketball season. You know, we know we're going to play the, uh, the champs on, uh, on that game on Christmas Day. But, you know, what is it for the court? What are we looking at here? This is the beginning of my sporting season, in fact. Do we even say sporting season? Do we say sports season? I think by now listeners know I'm, we can't really go to me for anything related to Athletics, But here we go with something hopefully I can help the listeners with, which is the first big case will be argued, no coincidence, the day after Election Day, November 4th. And it deals with something we're going to see a lot more in the future, which is a clash between religious freedom and freedom from discrimination. So in this case, what we have is two religious agencies who have contracts with the city of Pennsylvania to provide foster care. And what these agencies have said is that we don't want to work with same-sex couples. The city of Pennsylvania has said that goes against our, uh, our policy, that, you know, I'm sorry that these are your religious beliefs, but we're not going to give you a government contract. We're not going to work with you if you will not work with same-sex couples who want to foster children. So this is a matchup, again, that we've seen a number of times before. We'll see a number of times again. In as broad a sense, asks us to weigh, on the one hand, an organization that's saying, these are my religious beliefs, and I have a First Amendment right to freely exercise those beliefs. And on the other hand, we have, in this case, a city and plaintiff saying, I am entitled to freedom from discrimination. And a city saying, you know, we have a 
policy that you have to be neutral on these issues, that you cannot discriminate against same-sex couples. So uh, I think, again, no coincidence, we're going to hear this the day after the election, and it's one of, at least right now, the big cases that the court will be hearing this term. And then right on the heels of that, on November the 10th, there is another challenge to the Affordable Care Act, commonly known by some people as Obamacare. What's going on there? It's deja vu all over again. I think this is the third time a legal question dealing with the Affordable Care Act has come before the Supreme Court. This one deals with the individual mandate that says everybody has to have insurance coverage. And again, pretty broadly, what this case is about is that when the Supreme Court heard a challenge to the Affordable Care Act and specifically the individual mandate a number of years ago when famously Chief Justice Roberts sided with the liberals in 2000, I think it was right before the 2012 election actually, what the justices said is that Congress has the power to do this, meaning have the individual mandate with a penalty because it's part of their taxation power. And so again, because there was a penalty, if you didn't have insurance, it was viewed as a tax by Congress. What happened is that a different iteration of Congress later said, no more penalty. We are zeroing out that individual mandate penalty. At which point the question has to be, well, how can we uphold this under the taxation power if there is in fact no tax? So this is an appeal from the Fifth Circuit. Texas is in the Fifth Circuit. And what the Court of Appeals there said basically is, okay, well, the individual mandate, it's not constitutional anymore under the taxation power because there's a zero penalty, there's no tax, and there's no other constitutional authority for it. And then the maybe the bigger question is, if the individual mandate is struck down, what happens to the rest of the Affordable Care Act? Now, at least one district court judge has suggested, well, you can't sever it, meaning you can't separate it out. And so all of the Affordable Care Act would have to be declared unconstitutional. I, that would be a really huge and sweeping decision, but that is the issue at play here. And that's what part of what the Supreme Court is going to be deciding. Again, those two issues of the individual mandate, and then the rest of the Affordable Care Act. Let's remind listeners that this decision, even dismantling the Affordable Care Act, saying it's not constitutional, it doesn't mean Congress can never pass a health care law. It just means they have to do it in a different way and give different justifications. All very, very interesting things, Jessica. What else? There, there's got to be some other big cases. What else is uh, headed in front of the court this season? What other icebergs are out there? <laughs> well, there is another big case dealing with voting rights. This one comes out of Arizona, and the Supreme Court is going to review two Arizona policies that were struck down by the Ninth Circuit. We're talking to you from Los Angeles in California. We are part of the Ninth Circuit. And the Ninth Circuit said these two Arizona election policies violate the Voting Rights Act, specifically Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act that says you can't have election policies that have a discriminatory impact. And in one case, they say one of the policies actually also violates the 15th Amendment, which is, as a refresher, the amendment that gave black men the right to vote. So the two policies we're talking about here, one is ballot harvesting. And what Arizona said is third parties can't collect and turn in voter ballots 
unless those third parties are family members, household members, or caregivers of the voters. So that significantly restricts the number of people who could turn in the ballot. And this is the policy that the Ninth Circuit said violates both the Voting Rights Act and the 15th Amendment. Second policy deals with a requirement for voting in a specific precinct. And specifically, Arizona's policy says election officials can't count ballots that are cast outside of the voters assigned precinct. Both of these election policies are seen as, frankly, harming Democrats and because politics is a zero-sum game, helping Republicans. What the Arizona GOP has said is these policies are race-neutral. They're designed to prevent fraud. I think listeners now know my perspective on this, which is every credible study indicates that voter fraud is such a rarity that we need to be far more concerned about suppression than we need to about voter fraud. But those are the three big ones. And then, Joe, there are a couple of others on the docket I know you've been looking at. Yeah, yeah. I did some poking around. There are some things that may come before the court. One of them has to do with redacted information from the Mueller probe, which also seems like it was about a thousand years ago. There is a challenge to Trump's border wall. We've all heard so much about that going back four years, five years, also seems like a billion years ago. There's a case about Trump and the emoluments clause and another abortion case coming out of Mississippi. So as always, it appears shaping up to be a very, very interesting Supreme Court season. I hope you stick with us through all of this. We're going to discuss these and every other issue conceivable that will uh, roll through the court over the next, well, indefinite period of time while we do our podcast here. Jessica, it's such an honor to do this with you. I love chatting about these things. And uh, I would also remind everyone to tune in later this week. We're going to have a wonderful episode with Dean Irwin Chemerinsky from Berkeley Law. He is a Jedi Knight, casts a very, very long shadow, and I can't wait to hear that conversation. Joe, we didn't plan this, but you are our regular co-host now. If you were going to invite a famous person, dead or alive, to dinner, who would it be and why? Oh, my goodness. You're going to spring this on me now? I sure am. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Someone was just asking me about this the other day. Someone who is a regular listener of the podcast, and it's very, very appreciated. I love it when anyone listens to these things. So now, now that I've talked in circles to try to give myself a moment to think of who I would invite, (laughs) I'm going to have to come up with someone. For me, I can never give a straight answer to these types of things, so I'm going to have to poke around it a little bit. There's people like Tom Waits, who I'm wildly interested in hearing what he has to say about anything. Someone like Noam Chomsky, who's been an intellectual going back to the Vietnam era. There are people, uh, Mark Twain comes to mind. Ray Bradbury. You know what? I'm going to go with Ray Bradbury. I've met Ray Bradbury a handful of times in a cursory fashion, but I never did get to sit down and have that pint of beer tumbler of scotch or glass of wine with the man. So he is one of my idols, and I will go with Ray Bradbury for that. Now, you're going to be stranded on a desert island. You can have one meal. What is it? I'm going to go with something that doesn't exist anymore. There was a wonderful sushi restaurant in downtown Los Angeles in an area that used to be kind of a demilitarized zone, and now I can barely afford to park my car there. They made a dish called Hamachi Carpaccio, which was delicious. And I've tried it at many, many other sushi restaurants, and it is nary as good, not as good as with the now defunct R23 sushi. So I'm still searching, Jessica. And finally, you have one superpower for an hour. What is it? I'm going to go with the ability to stop time, because with that ability, I can make <laughs> that hour last forever if necessary. 
Joe Armstrong, what a pleasure to pass judgment with you. You are the show's producer. You are the show's regular co-host. You can find Joe across social media on In Depth Day. You can find me on Twitter at Levinson Jessica, the show on Twitter at Pass Judgment Pod, the show on Instagram at Passing Judgment Pod. We said it before. We'll say it again. We've really received a great response. We're so grateful to the listeners. Please tweet us. Please let us know what you'd like us to cover more or less. And we will see you next time.